Bibles <coughs> won't look with us tonight. Uh, I don't have one particular scripture uh, that I feel just really drawn to to read, uh, but uh, this one was one of the first ones that came to mind as I begin to look at look at some things in First Corinthians chapter one. First Corinthians chapter one. If you want to stand with us for a moment, we'll read a few verses here. First Corinthians chapter one and verses seventeen and eighteen. He said, For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But to us which are saved, it is the power of God. You can be seated. That's where I feel that uh, the Lord has drew our hearts tonight. I've had many other things that I've meditated upon and thought about today. Uh, after last evening's service, I had just the, some thoughts about the cross that came upon my heart. And uh, I thought, you know, I think that's of God. I think I know where I need to start. And I begin to think about the meeting tonight, this morning as I awoke, and then this evening pondering upon it. And I want to preach tonight with the help of the Lord on the cross. You know, there's a lot of things to preach. I believe at times, you know, we'll preach about just right living, living the Christian life. Preach about sins that ought not be in our life. Preach about attitudes and being thankful. There's just a lot of things to preach about from the Word of God. But if a man himself was to pick a subject, and the greatest subject that a man could pick, I believe, and I don't just pick my subjects I preach upon. I try to let the Lord lead me. I believe that's the right way. Only God can know your heart. Only God can know what message needs to be, be brought. He knows right where we're at, what we're going through, our circumstances, everything. But the greatest message that will ever be preached is the message of the cross. And I'm thankful tonight that we have the record of God that God had gave us, the record of His Son and the work that was done on an old rugged cross. It's a story that says that's, uh, that's never grew old. It's a story that has never lost its power. It's a story that has affected so many people. Now the Apostle Paul said, I could preach this in a way. I could use enticing words and man's wisdom. And I could put man in it and, and come at it from that angle. And he said, it might make uh, the effect, it might affect its effect. He said, it might take away its effect. He said, I don't want to preach it that way. But I want to preach it, he said, in its power and, and in its, its purity. And he said, I just want to preach the Word of God because the Word of God is quick and powerful. The Word of God, he said, was a discerner of the thoughts. It told, it would tell and reveal the very intents of the heart. It was like a two-edged sword. It was quick and powerful. He said it would get down and divide with things that are so close together like 
the joints and the marrow and the bones. And so God's word will do its job. Now he said this message is not received as, as a great message from everybody. Everybody doesn't consider this message to be very important or powerful or very needful. A lot of people think it's foolish to preach the cross. A lot of people think that, uh, that it's just uh, some fable that was drew up in the minds of some religious fanatic years ago and it's been carried on into the hearts of uh, people or the minds of people and, and as a few people are deceived by it and there's, it's just mere nothing, mere fables. But that's not true. I say it's a real message because it affected me. It had an effect on me. I'm glad I've been affected by the cross. If you're saved, you've been affected by the cross. I thought about today was it coming across back this way somewhere and back when the, had the storm, Brother Craig, he didn't know I was thinking anything about the cross, but he said he's reckon y'all's cross is still up here. And I began to try to wonder what they're talking about. And I had, had forgot the story Austin was telling me about, but they had uh, cut off that tree where it broke off in the storm. And that guy took that chainsaw and, and cut, cut that cross out. And it was still standing somewhere up the road, maybe over around Tunica, in the middle of all that sin, I saw three crosses and it looked like that uh, the wind had kind of blew them and they, they, you know, it hadn't been taken care of. But somebody years ago put them there and that meant something to them. I don't think by you wearing a cross around your neck that makes you spiritual or unspiritual. I don't think that you can uh, look down at it and say the little prayer and it'll get uh, high, any higher than the roof. But, uh, but that cross does mean something. I studied a little bit today about it. You know, some people uh, have the, the idea that the cross was, they have the, you know, the, the crucifix, or then some think it was a pole, actually. There's different beliefs on how, actually, that the cross was made out. But it's not about the, the way the cross was made, but it was what took place there. It was, it was the emblem, the writer said, of suffering and shame. So why the cross? Why preach the cross? Why? Why did God choose the cross? Why is there so much mention about the cross? I think tonight I begin to preach about the cross. Going to try to just let the Lord lead us tonight. But I think about it. We think about just about the cross or the death by crucifixion. I think we, if we've studied it or know anything about it at all, we know that was a horrible way to die. A horrible, a shameful way to die. It was a way of death that was chosen for some of the vilest criminals. It was a way of death that brought shame upon on the crime and the individual. And we know that they would crucify these people on these, these crosses and they would punish them some before they did Christ, much before, and then hang them on the, on the cross. The Bible refers to it being hanged on a tree. But they would take them a lot of times where uh, two roads would meet, a cross or an entrance of a city or an outgoing of a city or somewhere where others could come by and see it and make a spectacle of it. And Jesus Christ died on the cross of Calvary. After they, uh, after they uh, went through the mock trial and everything with Jesus Christ, hey, they took him out and they came to the place in one gospel which is called Calvary. And the others it's called Golgotha which uh, means uh, the place of the skull, the place of death. And so it was there that our Lord was crucified. Jesus Christ was crucified. Just outside the city of Jerusalem he was hanged upon a cross. Now most people who in past in history prior to that day in any 
went past that was crucified for their own sins or the sins that they were considered guilty of. And so they had done something. They had done something horrible to deserve that death. And so they were, they were crucified for, for, for wrongdoing, for, for breaking the law in some form. And, and so they were hanged there upon the tree and others would go by and see and think of what, what shame that, that, that it was to be put to death. And then others were, of course, made to fear by, of not doing whatever was done because nobody wanted to die in such a, such a horrible way. And it looks like in the Bible that Jesus was so hated of man that they, that they thought, we'll crucify him. We'll give him the most uh, horrible death we can give him. We'll take him through the ringer. I mean, we'll, we'll take him near death and hang him on a cross and embarrass him and his followers to the point that we abolish this movement that he started. I mean, they had so much anger against him. The people did. And it looks like that uh, the Roman soldiers and then turning him over into the hands of others and, and the beatings and the, and the, and the plowing his back with the, with the pieces of bone and the prophecies that, that was a set of Christ that they made long their furrows as they plowed through his skin. And then as he was on the cross, he says, my bones stare at me. All of the suffering and the patience of Christ, it was so awful. It looks like those whose hands he was in, I mean, were, were merciless toward him. But if we look at the Bible and we preach the cross from a biblical standpoint, and I was to ask you the question, who, who really killed Jesus? I mean, who really killed him? Who did he, who did he go to Calvary for? Well, Pilate himself said, just prior to his crucifixion, I find no fault in him, so it wasn't his wrongdoing that he went for. And so we can say, well, we know he didn't do anything wrong. They just got this evidence made up against him, convicted him of it, and he died, but he was yet innocent. But still he died. Still he suffered. And so if that's the case, then he just died in vain. And then there's no message to preach after that day. It has no effect. It's just a good man who done time and he wasn't even guilty. And that's a sad story. It would be, wouldn't it? But that's not the end of the story. No, that's not, that's not uh, uh, bringing it out. That's not bringing the truth out of it. That's not what God's Word tells us. And so if I asked you, you know, what, who you thought, who killed Jesus, you got to remember what he said to Pilate. Pilate began to talk to him. Tell me who you are, what you are. All of, and he asked him some questions. And Christ would not, would not really reply. He even asked him at one time, what is truth? And he said, release him. I find no fault in him. He speaks back in conversation with Christ. And he says, do you not understand who I am? I've got power to release you. I have authority over you. And Christ says to him, you're the one that really doesn't understand. You would have no power and do have no power over me except it be given to thee from above. And you got to remember so many times in the life of Jesus, they sought to kill him. They would seek to take his life and he would get away. I mean, they would come to do it, come to arrest him. He speaks, they fall back, they go, where's Jesus? Never man spake like this man. But it was in that garden that he takes the disciples just right prior to his passion, right prior to Calvary, and he says to them, my time's near. My soul is exceedingly sorrowful unto death. And you know, he was he was a dreading it, wasn't he? He was a dreading it. One man says it wasn't the cross that he really dreaded or dying that way necessarily like we would think, but it was 
the cup of God's wrath. And I don't want to get ahead of myself here. Uh, so we see that they tried to take Christ and couldn't take him. But when it come his time, it looked like he had a mission. And it looked like, and it was of God, and it was to be that way. It had to be that way. It was God's plan for it to be that way. And when they tried to seize him, they couldn't. But when the time came, nothing could prevent it. Nothing could prevent it. And so it was not Pilate who really had the power that day to release him and did not do it, even though I believe he was held guilty. It was not necessarily the mob. When they said, he said, I'll release Barabbas. And they said, no. Well, what would you that I should do with this man named Jesus who is called Christ? And they cried, crucify him, crucify him. Do I believe they're guilty of the blood of Jesus? Yes, I do. But I believe if we look in the word of God and we look past all of that, and we know that man could not kill God. Man could not kill God. God cannot be killed by man. So who killed God? Well, go back in Isaiah 53 and read it. We see him stricken and smitten of God. I mean, everything that was poured out upon God's son, all the wrath that he took, all of the scourge, and every bit of that was at the hand of the Father. God the Father. It pleased God to bruise him. God did this to his own son. Why? Because God was angry, friend. God was angry. See, God is holy. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. He is so holy we cannot comprehend how holy he is. He is so pure and true and so righteous that we, our minds can't even wrap around that. But what God done in his great, uh, I mean in his great mercy, was he became man. He became man. He became flesh and dwelt among men. And he walked down here and was made like unto you and I and took that law, that holy law that he had made so perfect and so right that only condemned us. It did not make us a worse, a more sinners when Moses gave it. It just showed us how bad we were. It's like one man used this illustration that if a man stands by a four foot man stands behind, beside a six foot man, the, the six foot man does not make the four foot man any shorter. It just reveals how short he is. And so we were sinners before the law ever came. But God gave a law for the purpose of bringing about the knowledge of sin. And under that law and according to that law, if we look in the mirror of it, we're all sinners. And so the purpose of the death on a cross was to punish sin. And what God done was God came down and chose that way, that way of death, that way of the cross to go and punish sin. And if we look at Calvary, we see the purpose of the cross was to punish sin. And then we look at a little farther and we'll see that God chose that method uh, for his son to die on. And the Bible says he knew no sin, but he was made sin for us. And the Bible said he bore in his body our sins on his own body on the tree. And so when we preach the cross of Calvary tonight, the cross that the Bible speaks about to the world is foolishness, but to us who believe it is the power of 
God. The writer said, for it was on that old cross that Jesus suffered and died to pardon and sanctify me. And so the preaching of the cross uh, makes me happy. It ought to make you happy if you're saved. There's no other way to be saved but through the cross. Jesus cried from that cross in the gospel of John. He cried, it's finished. What was finished? The work that God has sent him there to do. I was reading a little today about uh, the apostle Paul and in his day of preaching about the cross and then they had the law and then they had all the rituals. They had the circumcision and they would compel those to be circumcised and he would say that's a work and he said if you consider that a work that attains to any righteousness then you make the cross of Christ of none effect. But he said I'll not do that. I'll not go there. He said I knew what I was when I thought I was right with the law. That commandment that I thought was ordained to life. He said slew me. It cut me down. He said it counted me a sinner and God brought me down and I saw the Lord Jesus on the road to Damascus and ever since everything that I've lost I've counted but dumb. Everything that I've went through I've put behind me and I want to go forward. I want, I'm willing to lose it that I may win Christ. And anyone would say oh I'm really something. Paul was somebody friend. I mean he was somebody. They would say I was born in this tribe. I'm of this family. I'm a Jew. I'm a Hebrew. He would say I'm more circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin. All of these things concerning the law of blameless raised up at the foot of Gamaliel. See friend he had, a, had about two raisins in his life. One raisin was at the foot of the Gamaliel but the other raisin was at the foot of the cross and it was right there where he really learned how to live and he learned how to live and he learned what living really was and he said I was I am crucified with Christ Paul went to Calvary if you're saved you've been to Calvary you've been there you've been to the cross you've came to the foot of it I've never went to Jerusalem I've had the privilege to go go to the Holy Lands go there I've never went honestly don't want to go like to read about it like to see pictures but I'm not real big about being that far away from home but I've been to Calvary have you been to Calvary I've been to Calvary I've been to the foot of Calvary. If you're drawn of God tonight and got a pull on your heart to come to God, I like the old-fashioned altars. Back home they call them mourner's benches. I was saved on my knees. The old knee right way, some might say. But I'm telling you tonight, if you're pulled on your heart, you're drawn to Calvary. You're drawn to the blood. You're drawn to faith in Christ. You're drawn to the same place that they were drawn to when they were bitten to the fiery serpents and everybody was dying because of it. And I'm telling you, listen, everybody is dying. Not just those who have COVID real bad or dying. Not just those who had cancer. But friend, we're all dying. We're all dying because of sin. That wage of sin is death. And that's not just death and then buried in a grave and forgot about. That great penalty placed upon it, friend, is eternal death. And the only thing opposite of eternal death is eternal life tonight. And that's only found and can only be preached uh, through and by the work of God's Son, the one who cried, who hung between heaven and earth and said, it's finished, it's done. Nothing else has to be done. God now is satisfied one time and now and forever. Never had been before. They'd come bring a sacrifice and then they would go back again and bring another one. 
But this time, he went in behind that veil where that priest would go, behind that holy veil, and he would go in there, and he went in there, and but he did not go without blood, but he did not go with the blood of an animal. He went by his own blood, went in there, took his own blood, and it, a song has been written. I don't know how old it is, but I've heard it in recent years, and here he comes, and he's got the blood, and the Father cries, my son, well done. This is is the last blood I'll ever need. I'm glad that Jesus could cry by the authority of God and by the work that God had given him to do that it's finished. Nothing else has to be added to it. Nothing can be taken away from it. The cross, the preaching of the cross, the work of the cross, the blood that was shed, the, the satisfaction that God received, poured out his, his wrath upon sin. He brought him to, to the end, brought him to death. Jesus died, paid the it, thank God. I'm glad there's victory, and victory is won at Calvary. I'm glad for the cross tonight. That was God's way. God chose it to be that way. Nothing could prevent it. You look back on Calvary, we read how that he showed himself alive after his passion in the book of Acts, uh, many infallible proofs. Yeah, the movie come out several years back about the passions of the Christ. I, I haven't actually saw it. I've just saw portions of it. I, I know that uh, you can take a, take a preacher and preach the cross from the word of God that's forever settled in heaven a lot of times and nobody will respond. You can play a movie and folks get worked up and they come. And they claim to have seen them saved by the masses. But I'm going to tell you this, and I'm not trying to be real technical tonight. But the Bible does not say that God, uh, 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 pl please God, by, by movies and scenes and, 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 and a lot of graphic things to save them that would believe. He said, hit please God through the foolishness of preaching to save them that would believe. And I'm telling you, that old preacher, and I'm not at all minimizing education. Get all you can if you can glorify God with it. But that little country preacher who had a lisp in his voice, who would they have been considered not eloquent, not eloquent in speech? Neither was Moses uh, either. But God said, who's made man's mouth? But God laid his hand on a country boy and said, preach the cross for me, Eugene. And he answered that call. And I've heard him tell the old stories back in the day early in his ministry about preaching when they got on the old wagon and went up Long Creek uh, down in Tennessee just below where I live and preached the gospel back then and people would climb through the windows. People would come out and look through the windows to hear the preaching. It wasn't no show friend. Brother, they didn't have nowhere else to go back in that day. A lot of them went there just to see the girls for various reasons. They wasn't as many attractions as there are in our day. But brother, they went there and a message went out in mighty power and gripped the hold of their hearts and hung them out over hell and showed them they were sinners, hell deserving sinners. The work of the Holy Spirit worked on people's hearts through the preaching of the word of God and they didn't leave them there a-hanging. They did just like Moses. God, they're a-dying. What do I do? He said, lift that serpent, a brazen serpent up on a pole. What was the serpent that was a figurative of the embodiment of sin. That's what Satan was. 
paradise. He entered into the serpent and beguiled Eve. He said, take a brazen serpent, put it on a pole, lift it up. We don't look to Satan who deceived. We look to Christ who, who, who defeats, who defeated sin. And he embodied our sin in his own body. He came and took it upon himself. He was lifted up and he told them, very simple, look and live. That's their only hope. Look and live. There's nowhere else to find a cure. It's the cross. It's the serpent that was raised up in the wilderness. And he says in the New Testament, I believe in John 3, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the days of the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And he said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men to me. I believe I ought to lift him up in song. I believe I ought to lift our praises up. I believe I ought to hold up the bloodstained banner. But I'm telling you, Jesus was lifted up. Jesus was lifted up on Calvary. He hung between the heavens and the earth and he stayed there. He could have said they're not worth it. Could have, but he didn't. He could have called the angels and said, take me down. I can't go this far. Friend, even God himself turned his back upon him. He cried in the book of Psalms, my God, my God, why has thou forsaken me? But somewhere in the midst of those tears and strong crying, he was heard. I believe the Bible said, that kind of gets beyond me. I can't wrap my mind all around it, but I know that the preaching of the cross to those who, who mock it and, and, and don't believe it, it's just a foolish message, but to us who believe it, it's the power of God. We can relate tonight. It's had an effect on us. We had an experience with Calvary that we could never and have never got over. If your religion was just a little walk the aisle, smile a while, agree with the preacher, you're not saved. Listen, you're not saved. I don't care if you're a Baptist, a good one, a deacon, a good faithful member. If all you have is just head knowledge, friend, that's not enough. You've got to go to Calvary. And, and Calvary is a place where there's a death. And Paul said, I've been to Calvary. He said, I died there. But Jesus didn't stay there. And Paul said, I went up with him, but I also come down with him. I went in the tomb with him, but hallelujah, I come out with him. He said, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I've died. But he said, yet I live. He said, but it's not I that lives, but it's Christ in me who loved me and gave the life. He said, I now live in the flesh. I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. When I look at the cross, I can say personally, 100%, he did that for me. He went there for me. When he was on the cross, I was on his mind. Aren't, don't you feel special tonight? Do you feel special tonight that he went all the way for you? Oh, yes. Just that one drop of the Savior's blood. And I believe it was more than the blood. The life is in the blood. And so the blood leaving him, the life went with it. And life is in the blood. And life is still in the blood. Life is still in the blood. We sang about tonight, what can wash away my sins? Nothing. Nothing. Now God has given mankind, friend, the deal of all deals. He cried from the prophet Isaiah, come now, let us reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they can be made white as wool. How can that be? How can that be only through the pure blood of the Lamb? 
only through the cleansing power. Nothing but the blood. There's power, power, wonder-working power, power in the blood. There's a fellow back home who, who has passed away uh, this last a few months. I was able and privileged to speak at his funeral, Brother Roy Strong. Roy was a poor man. Roy was a country man, and Roy lived a rough life. Maybe some of that way that he had to live was brought upon by himself. But God loves sinners, and Roy was a sinner. And we got to having meetings, and Roy got to come, and people got interested in him, got to witnessing to him, got to tell him about God, and Roy had done a lot of sinning. And somehow or another, God got a hold of him. He got to thinking about eternity and about his soul. And he got under conviction. And I was preaching a meeting at Athens Baptist Church. And Brother Roy got to coming in the altar and praying. And he got to wanting to get right with God and wanting to be saved and wanting to be forgiven. And he came one night, and I thought, sure, Roy is fixing to find the Lord. And he got up and did not make a profession, and he left. And you know, it's, it's sad. That's a sad thing to see. But, uh, you know, God will do a work. And so Roy, that's better than telling him he's got something he hadn't. Amen. And so Roy went home, and I don't know if it was the next night or the next night. Seemingly like we had a night or two of service that he was there, but he didn't move. He didn't come in prayer. He didn't show any signs. And, you know, that's always a worry. Have they rejected the Lord? Have they decided they don't want it? What are they thinking? You can't read the mind of a man. He didn't know what to do. He felt like he'd done all he knew to do. You're getting in a good shape when you're getting rid of your ways and you don't know what else to do and you feel like you're going down. And if you get to that place about the time you think you're a goner, if you're reaching for Jesus, somebody will take a hold of you. Amen. And that's what happened to Roy. He was sitting in the back of the house and a good friend who had a burden for him went back there that night, Brother Chris Botts. Back home in the country churches, they'll have corners. They call the amen corner, a women corner. A lot of the aged sisters are set in one, the deacons and others are set in the other. That's somewhat tradition. It don't have to be that way. That's where you'll get a lot of your support a lot of times. They say, I want to get up close to the fire. They'll get up and sit around, you know. Well, he got up and went back through the house. He stuck out his hand and grabbed a hold of Roy He's like, I don't know exactly what he said. It was something like, I just want to see you saved. And Roy said it was like a ball of fire went through him. And he came out in the middle of the, of the aisle, and he was going to come forward to the altar, and he just held on to this brother and the Lord. he done a big old spin like that, and right down in the floor he went. In about five minutes he come up born again, born again and saved by the grace of God. And then about to, uh, maybe a year or two later, his wife Candy, I was privileged to be in revival at Poplar Long. And one night, Candy was in the altar praying and uh, I said God and salvation ain't nothing of you and nothing of me but we were just so pleading for the mercies of God for God to help her to give her faith to give her understanding I remember that night I said Lord I'm glad to take a back seat to this I was there and I crawled on the floor I crawled up about right here and just leaned up against the wall and I preached I was young I preached real hard I mean I preached like the world was on fire and I still want to do that but I don't feel like I did when I was 20 and I mean, I'd preached, I was wore out, and here she was on the altar, and she raised up and said, well, y'all sing Amazing Grace. And we said, we'll sing anything, church-wise, or, you know, anything that we can to help you. And we started singing Amazing Grace, and somewhere in the middle of that, she had prayed and, and wept tears till her hair was wet, and she began to wipe them old tears. And I got in that hair, and she looked up like that in a pretty smile. She done like that. She said, he just saved me. And so God, the cross changed that family. God saved them two sinners. And I knew Roy was rough. And a man back home, a very prominent man who owns a, uh, 
who owned the Gamaliel Shooting Supply. It's a pretty popular gun store, and uh, they do a lot of uh, shipping of, of gunpowder. They're big into sporting plays and stuff. And I used to bird hunt with the owner, Garen Pyre. Uh, we were, we're still dear friends. I considered him a dear friend. But he knew how rough the Strongs was, and he knew how rough Roy was. And he said, I'll tell you. He said, I heard Roy Strong got saved. I said, he sure did. He said, if y'all can get Roy Strong saved, you can get anybody saved. I said, well, we didn't get Roy Strong saved, but Jesus sure did. And one night, I was always wanting people to really, really understand what had happened. What a work of grace. What, what kind of change that God had wrought in the life of this man through, through repentance and faith and the work of the cross that I'm preaching on tonight. And one night, he got up. I'd asked permission to hold a meeting in a Lions Club building, and they gave it to me. So I went down there, and we had a revival in a Lions Club building. And I honestly, still to this day, don't even know what the Lions Club is all about. But anyway, we had a meeting in there, and Roy got up. And Roy said, I've did it all. He said, I've bootlegged. Y'all know what that is? They do that back then. He said, I've bootlegged. He said, I've sold dope. I've sold pills. I've did it all. But Jesus saved me. Jesus did it for me. Jesus made a difference in me. And he lived his life for God. He never went back. He was never the same. I preached his funeral just here a couple months ago. Big old family, grandkids everywhere. Two of the grandkids wanted to get up and speak and, and uh, say a few things. And I was really amazed. I knew Roy, I didn't even know if this man could read. I wouldn't have been surprised if he couldn't read because of the age he was and where I live and way back in the sticks there was a lot of uneducated people. But they said our, our visions and memories of daddy was him always praying, him always telling us how we needed to pray and how he wanted us to get saved and how that he would sit and read his Bible. He became a deacon at Athens Baptist Church and loved the Lord till he died. This cross, this preaching of this cross it's to them that perish foolishness. But to us who believe, it's the power of God. It's the life-changing power of God. It's God's love revealed in His wrath. That God is so holy that He could not let sin get by. But instead of pouring all of His anger and wrath out upon us, He made a way that, that, that we could be acquitted, that we could be pardoned. And God, it's much like in the little story that I've heard in, in, different, in times past that I've heard people give the illustration of the, of the young man who, who, who was wrong and who had stole a lunch at school. But, but, and he was taken up before the church and everybody had decided in the crowd that they're going to have to take licks. Whoever done this is going to have to take some licks. And he goes up there and, uh, and, and he's going to take his licks. And he always, of course, the story's kind of saddened up to pull on the heartstrings. I don't know if it's literally real, but the moral of it is, is as, as someone watched someone get the punishment that they deserved, they was moved with compassion in their heart and said, I cannot sit here and watch this go on because I can do something about it and I'll go and take little Johnny's lick and thank God. The holy God of heaven loved us so much. Hell deserved sinners, rightfully so. I mean, we all went our own way. We were sheep. We were gone astray. Everyone, we lived it our way. We wanted life our way. We sinned. We're conceived in iniquity, shaping in iniquity, uh, born in sin, come forth from our mother's womb, speaking lies, depraved sinners. But God
God in his infinite love is so moved that he had a plan. Thank God before there was ever a problem. Calvary was on his mind. God knew it. God knew it would be. God ordained it. Nothing could stop it. Thank God. And still today, the power of this message cannot be restricted by man only except through his unbelief and his willful rebellion and rejection of God. But if people will let him in, he'll come in today through the work that he done and change people and break the chains of sin and set them on a new path and pick them up out of the mighty clay as David said and sit them on the solid rock and establish their goings they'll get up one day maybe and go to the beer joint go to the honky tonk go to the pleasures but the next time you see them they're going back to hear the message again only God can do a work like that in a man's heart brother Ken Jenkins got saved and he said he was reminded when he got saved of a debt that he owed a man 30 bucks. He would borrowed the money and didn't go back to pay it. And I don't think he was necessarily intending not to, but he'd let it drag out, you know. and hadn't been, hadn't been loyal to his word. He said, I go down there, I go into the house of this man, and I say, uh, God's done something for me. We've already heard about it. They're smiling, you know. We've already heard about it. God saved you. He said, they rejoiced with me. He said, well, I owe you some money. Here's $30 I owe you. They said, why? We ain't worried about that. You just forget that. He said, well, God ain't forgot it. He said, and I can't forget it. He ain't letting me forget it. I owe it to you. He said, the fellow says, take that and uh, put it in church plate. And that guy was, was out of church. Somehow he'd got wounded. Somehow he had got wounded and got his feelings in the way and got out of church. That happens to Christian people. It really does. And he, uh, he said, I don't know why I said it. I guess the Lord just put it on my heart. He said, I was just a fresh newborn believer. But he said, I said, if you want it in the plate at church, you put it in there. I just left it laying. And he tells about the day he remembers being up in the choir. He went to singing in the choir just right after he got saved. And singing in the choir. We got a young man back home that got saved out behind the barn and I baptized him back in the summer and our treasurer resigned he said uh, I don't think I'm uh, uh, capable of doing it now like I need to be doing he resigned and I got to praying about a little and brother Matt came on my mind and uh, so I talked to some of the men about it how the church felt about it they said you know I thought of him he's a good straight up young man so I approached him I said I think the church is going to ask you to be our new treasurer he said, I'll be tickled to do anything I can to help the church. He said, I want to do something for God. Ain't that amazing? And he took that up. The same young man was on my heart while I was down here in meeting to just conduct prayer services Wednesday night, tomorrow night at our church. And I went up to him <clears throat> Sunday after church. I didn't make an announcement other than I said, well, there'll be church here Wednesday night. I'll be gone in a meeting. And I said, I'll call upon someone to conduct the service, not to preach, just to handle the service and lead in prayer and ask for testimonies and read some scripture. They'll get together and have some form of worship. But the Lord put him on my heart. And I walked back there. I said, I'm going to ask you something real hard because you got to know this fellow. He's very shy. I preached two Wednesday nights ago about not being ashamed, and he was back there. And he, I mean, when he stood up, he didn't just stand up. He pulled himself up just like 
like that leaning over the pew after I preached about 30 minutes about not being ashamed of the Lord. I believe he decided he wasn't going to be ashamed because he jumped out there and he said, I just want to thank God for saving me. That's about all he said to sit down, but it was, it was full of fire. I mean, it really was. But that same boy, I said, to Matt, I said, I'm going to ask you to take care of the services Wednesday night. What do you think about that? Can you do it? Big old tears come up in his eyes and got the sloshing around as he shook his head. He said, you know, he said, it'll be hard, but I'll do what I can. He said, and I was sitting back there tonight. He said, uh, thinking, would it be inappropriate? See, he's real young in the Lord. He said, would it be inappropriate? Lord, just talking to God, would it be inappropriate for me to ask the pastor if I could do it? He's wanting to do something for God because he knows what God done for him. Have you, has this thing got stale on you? Have you been saved a little while and hadn't reflected back much on the cross? Nothing the Lord could ask us to do could be anything compared to what he's already done for us. I mean, it's all a small thing uh, compared to the greatest thing that God has done. A lot of times he just says, ask us to be faithful. Just ask us to be faithful. Ask us not to be ashamed. And think about all of the shame that he bore for you and I. So we shouldn't be ashamed of the Lord tonight. I'm glad that the cross has had an effect on me. We look at the cross, we see a debt paid, don't we? I thought about Brother Craig. I think that song, It Is Well With My Soul, talks about the cross. Oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, was nailed to his cross, and I bear it no more. It is well Oh, it is well. Praise the Lord, it is well with my soul. I'm glad to be saved tonight. I'm thankful that I heard the old story of the old rugged cross. I've heard it all my life. But there was a time when it spoke to me, and I saw that I needed to get there. I saw that my sins were great. The old account was growing every day. I saw who I was, what I was in light of a holy God. And that God that I've been told from a small child loved me. He can do anything. I mean, he can move mountains. He can do anything. I felt like he wasn't my friend no more. And, and he wasn't. I had became his enemy. He had not changed, but I had changed. I had stepped out. Somewhere in that, God had said, it's time, Jeremy. You're accountable. You're accountable for what you are. And I felt so filthy and so dirty. And they told me there was a place I could go and get clean. Have you ever heard the story on John 3.16? There's a man back home, Brother Cox. He can do the best I've ever heard. He'll tell about the first or second. He'll get to building up, you know, about that little boy who was out on the street. and He was needing some help. A little hobo somewhat of a boy. And he said, I need some help. And they said, go right down there on that door and knock on that door and say, John 3.16. And he knocks on the door and he's taken in. John 3, 16, near a fireplace. And he says to his little old self, I don't know who John 3, 16 is. But he said, I know he can make a cold boy feel warm. And then he's taken to a table. And he sits at a table. And he says to his little self and his little mind, 
I don't know what this John 3.16 means or even who he is, but I know he sure can make a little empty boy feel full. And whoever the kind lady was, and that was her password of reaching out to people and showing Christian love, took him to a room and put a little dirty boy in a bathtub and said, he said to himself, I don't know who John 3.16 is, but he sure can make a dirty boy feel clean. And Brother Cox would do that, and I'm not mimicking him. My tears are coming for me tonight. But he'd go, whoo, 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 whoo. And he'd quote John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave. God gave, friend. They didn't take his life. He gave it. He gave it willingly. He gave it all. He, Jesus paid it all. And he gave it. Oh, yes. He said, I've got power to lay it down. I've got power to take it up. He gave it. And God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. This message ain't foolish, is it? No, it's a powerful message. It's, it's the answer to all the world's problems. It outdoes reform, doesn't it? It beats all of the programs that man can come up with to reform people, to try to help them. No, it doesn't give people a better life. It gives them a new life. It erases the past, gives them a new life with new desires, cleans their heart up. Oh, my, takes away the guilt and the shame. They can look up and know they're a new person. They can go on. God did that for many of you. And if you're here tonight and you see your need of God, that's where you'll find it. That's where you'll find it. You'll find it at Calvary. That song I heard, I found it at Calvary. That's where I found my peace. That's where I found my hope. That's where I'm looking to now. That's where I'm counting on. That's where I go. I believe the blood that Christ shed on Calvary, I believe he offered to God. I believe it went on into heaven, don't you? And was applied to the mercy seat, which on earth was figurative. But that mercy seat, is it was before a judgment seat. But when the blood's placed upon it, it becomes a mercy seat. And God said, I'll commune with you there. That's where I'll meet you. I believe Calvary. Don't you believe that? Calvary is the place where God and man can meet and a business transaction can be made that affects man forever. That's where the deal was made. Thank God with God. He does not compromise on it. You'll have to come by way of the cross. A man downtown said this, and I'll close with this. He said he heard some men arguing over religion. Some were Protestant, some were Baptist, some believed another way. And he said, they could have all been wrong in their mind for all I know that day. He said, as I walked along, I decided I didn't have time to argue with nobody. And I thought I'd say a good word. And so as they huddled around, he said, I really never even stopped walking. I know this man was named Arnold Turner. It comes to mind, and I've never forgot him saying this. He said, as I walked along, and they're in their little huddle. And you know, this was humorous to me. He said, I just kind of stopped and inserted my head into the into the little round table, and I said, fellers, the way of the cross leads home, and just kept a-walking. And he said, they kind of looked at me. That's what I believe, don't you? The way of the cross leads home. That's the way tonight. That's the way to heaven. That's the only way. I'm glad tonight it's still got its power to those who believe it. Has it had an effect on you? Can you rejoice with me tonight? Thank you, Lord, for what you've done on Calvary for me. I'm glad tonight to be saved. I'm thankful for God's amazing grace. Would you stand with me tonight? Would you stand with me tonight? You obey the Lord. You listen to God. Brother, would you come?